1: For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to Cynthia That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia.
2: Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm very always glad when you all join me. and If you're listening for the first time, I'm very excited that you're listening today. And today I have kind of a special show for you. I am um, a speaker as well, and there is a particular uh, um, philanthropic, it's a women's organization that I speak for, and it's it's an international organization. And so one of the things they have you do is give your life story as a salvation message. So I've been doing that for quite some time, and I thought today, I would take some time and just give you a personal story of mine. And hopefully within the next six months, this will be an autobiography. I have, um, they're writing this for me. So it's kind of exciting. And this little piece that I'm giving you today, you can also get on the website as a PDF. It's like a little mini book, a mini version of the entire book. And it's called Can Fairy Tales Be Real? So for today, I want you to hear this and, and listen to this story. And if you don't get to listen to it in its entirety, you can always go to the website and it will be a podcast. So my website, again, is CynthiaHyatt.com. And on there, we'll have all the different podcasts. And so this one, if you don't get to listen to the entire show today, you can listen that, in that way. So I want I want you to ask yourself, you know, why do we love stories? Why do we love them? Well, maybe... It helps us to feel like we're not alone. And see, stories inspire us. They they help us to think that maybe our life isn't so bad, that maybe it could be better. We're kind of natural voyeurs, and we like to see what it would be like to live someone else's life. And sometimes we find out our life is really not so bad, and we become thankful. However, more often than not, we compare and contrast our lives to a quote-unquote snapshot we see of someone else's life. And then we determine that our life is grossly lacking or conversely, far more complicated and ultimately use this analysis to see if we measure up, which rarely happens unless we're comparing ourselves to to third world countries. So even if we compare our life to someone grossly less fortunate, we often condemn ourselves for being grateful and not handling our life with grace and dignity or worse We feel better because of someone's mistakes. And maybe we say to ourselves, well, at least I'm not that bad. Or I look better than they do. Or at least I'm not that stupid. So as this famous novelist, Virginia Woolf, explains, she says, in order to make you understand, to give you my life, I must tell you my story. Well, so I'm going to tell you my story. And I've never really told my story, not in in its entirety. I tell parts of it and often as a way to entertain because I do really have some very funny stories. And many times I tell different parts of my story to comfort people or as a way to relate to others by sharing many of my own heartaches and mistakes or to instruct people as to what to do or please do not do this. So stories, just as music, are very effective teaching tools because it's much harder to defend against the creative presentation. See, we can tune out a preacher or a teacher, but creative endeavors speak to our hearts first, then to our heads. So intellectual presentations speak first to our heads, and then they may travel down to our heart. So why do stories work? Well, we're drawn into them. We use them as a way to explain life or as a way to experience something we would otherwise never be a part of. Daniel, Daniel Taylor, I like, I like what he says. He wrote, our stories tell us who we are, why we are here and what we are to do. So you see, someone's writing your story. Now, is it you? Is it the culture? Is it your family? Is it your friends, your job or something supernatural like God? Or do you believe your life is just happenstance? Well, believe it or not, you are here for a reason. It is not happenstance. It's not some weird phenomena. There is a purpose. There is a point to all of this. And I frequently remind my patients, you know, nobody leaves this planet without a really big story. So as I looked at my life story, I came to see that I had and have actually three stories going on in my life simultaneously, just as you do. It's kind of like a braid. These three stories would braid themselves and unbraid and rebraid again. So let me explain. The first story that you have in your life, that I have in my life, this is the original story. This is the reason I'm here, the point of it all. It's my talents, my abilities, the quote unquote mark I'm going to leave on this planet. It's the supernatural story, the story that's bigger than me, the one we all aspire to. So whether you believe in a higher power or a creator or a heavenly father, whatever it is, that the That person, the creator of the universe, is writing your story and has written it. He says in Psalms 139, he knew you before you were born. So he has your story already written. And then there is our second story. And the second story, that's actually my story. This is the one I'm choosing. It's the one I make happen. It's my idea. It's my version of the first story. Or my adaptation of what I think it should be, could be, would be, ought to be. It's me saying, yeah, thanks, God, that's great, but I really have a better story. And I like this story better, so I'm going to hope that you like my story. And then we have the third story. And this is my fairy tale. It's what I'm dreaming. It's the first and second story, what those stories are going to be. It's based on my imagination. It's fantasy. It's escapism. It's everything my current story is not. And sometimes our second and third story have actually become nightmares. So don't you wish sometimes that there was like this fairy godmother that had a magic wand and would just wave it and make everything better? Because I didn't or don't trust the first story. I don't trust God with that's the first story. That's the original design. And many times I don't trust him with that. I want my fairy tale, this whatever I came up with. And usually our fairy tales start when we're little kids. And so that story is one of fantasy, it's not one of faith. What's amazing, though, about these three stories is that the author of the first story allows the main character to be a part of writing his or her own unique novel. So trust me, everyone's story, if they were written down, would really be a bestseller. But we fight our stories so hard. Imagine if you were the author, how you might feel if you were writing a wonderful story and the main character is allowed to collaborate with you on the story. What would you do if you have this rogue main character? Or conversely, a main character that was passive and not participating. Or a main character that was wanting someone else to do his or her story. Well, that was me. So I've taken both stances at different times in my life. But God wanted it this way. He wanted participation and collaboration in the life he has and is creating for me. And he wants that for you. See, he'll take the versions. He'll take the rebel. He'll take the pacifist. Because God is trying to write over the main story of creation by writing each individual story that is good and perfect. So he doesn't make the main character do anything. He works with us and in spite of us, and he will guide us if asked and has been divinely intervening supernaturally as a way to protect the integrity of our story. How many times in your life have you experienced what you thought was a divine intervention or what you thought that had to be an angel? Well, this is God keeping the story alive, salvaging what we might throw away and making sure it doesn't end prematurely. So how did these three stories play out in my life? Well it was like this three braided cord, and each story kept weaving itself around and through the other story. so I'm going to start with my third story, and that would be my fairy tale. So think of your favorite fairy tale and why it might have meant so much to you. What hope did it bring you? Why might it have been so validating to you? What life lessons did it teach you? See, I know for me there were several fairy tales that I loved, and there was always a common theme, and the character This common theme was this character wasn't understood or seen for whom she really was. She wasn't wanted. She was somehow misplaced, lost. Maybe she was kidnapped. Then she would be discovered, swept off her feet, taken into a wonderful life and live happily ever after. She'd have beautiful clothes, would be a princess. And ultimately for me, she would be back in the life or family where she truly belonged. You see, fairy tales all have a common theme they play out. And they are the same in every culture. Even though they're not shared cross-culturally, they exist in culture. They are all part of a human phenomenon. And as a therapist, there are many types of protocols we use in helping patients understand themselves, understand people and their environment and how they see themselves. And fairy tales are often used as a therapeutic tool to help individuals understand themselves and their hopes and their dreams and their hurts. You see, as a little girl, my fantasy or my fairy tale was that I was secretly a princess or someone from a really wealthy family, somebody very important. And I was misplaced or stolen or lost. And my real family was desperately looking for me, trying very hard to find me. And when they did, everybody would know who I really was. I would then have everything I needed and wanted, and everyone would love me, and nobody would ever be mad at me. Everyone would get along, and we'd all live happily ever after. It would all be fixed. You see, I was adopted. And interestingly enough, this is a very common fantasy that adopted children have. Every time their parents discipline them or say no, adopted children know that their real parents would never treat them that way. That if they were with their real family, everything would be perfect. They would be loved and have no hurt or sadness. Now, I'm not saying biological children don't have some of the same fairy tale. But for the adopted child, there's always this ghost family They can kind of project whatever is necessary to explain their current situation and to make it more bearable when things get nonsensical. See, I always knew I was adopted. And I want to go forward with this whole concept in the next segment. So I want you to hang in there with me as we talk about this story. And so the third story for me was this fairy tale that I was somehow wanted and loved. And if I was just in the right family with the right people, my life would work perfectly. And so that's part of the hurt and the sadness that started, that began my life. And see, in the 60s, they thought that it was more nature and not nurture, and that the predominant emphasis of the development of a child was nurture them, and they would grow up the way you wanted them to grow up. And so that children were basically a blank slate. Well, we know that children are not a blank slate, and we know that nature will take its course, and we need to nurture nature of the child. And so what parenting really is, is nurturing that true nature. So I want you to join me in the second segment as we talk about our life story and the fairy tale, the real story and God's story. Welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me, and please always visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com for all the podcasts of these shows. Uh, Also, if you are looking for a keynote speaker, I do a lot of speaking. And today, I am speaking about my life story, which I do as a lecture um, many times nationally and internationally. I've given this story, and it hopefully... Sooner than later, it will um, be finished as an autobiography or a biography. So you're joining me kind of in the middle of this, and, and we are talking about these three stories that God has really shown me that we all have in our lives, and that is, we have a fairy tale, our story, the one that we're trying to write, and then God's story. And many times, our story is just what we're trying to do to make our fairy tale happen. And so we ended that last segment with me talking to you about being adopted and I was adopted and I was adopted into a family that I am very different from and my adoption affected me greatly. And as I grew up and continued, this continued to be a very predominant thought and how I felt and how I perceived my world is that I was probably in the wrong family. See, my adoptive parents did a really good job of handling my adoption And they also adopted my two brothers. And I have one sister that is the oldest of us siblings, and she is their only biological child. And then my parents subsequently adopted me and later my two brothers. So we are all from different families and we all look nothing alike. We act nothing alike. And we have really, really big personalities. And some people are not as affected by their adoption as maybe I was. And that may be due to the sensitivity of of me as a person. That may have been because I was in uh, several different places before my adoptive parents received me. And what we do know about that is that there's so much about attachment and bonding and how powerful even the first 24 hours of a child's life is, notwithstanding the next 6 to 12 years of their life. So the need for a child to be known, to be understood, to quote unquote be seen does not go away just because you grow up and become an adult. See, I was raised in a Christian home, and I always heard how much God loved me. I always heard how much my parents wanted me, how long they waited for me, and that they specifically picked me. My parents loved me, and they love me still very much. And they have always considered me their real daughter. Uh, I I recently spoke at one of the largest churches in Kampala, Uganda, about this very thing. And they love this adoption story and hearing that my parents provided so well for me and they even paid that my parents paid for my education and that myself and my two adopted brothers are considered an equal heir in, in my parents' estate, just as my biological sister is because they love this story because there are so many orphans in Uganda and they all want to be adopted. And you see, that's their fairy tale is to be adopted. So I get to tell them that it's truly God's story for them. And it's not just a fairy tale, that this is how God sees us. We all come from him and we are all adopted into his family as equal heirs in the inheritance of his kingdom. Now, I would like to say that knowing all of this and that my parents, my adoptive parents loved me and wanted me. And I would like to say that that all fixed everything for me, but Somehow, my feelings of rejection and abandonment, not measuring up, struggling to figure out who I was, who I was supposed to be, became very problematic for me. And I also experienced sexual abuse growing uh, growing up throughout my childhood, and this was unbeknownst to my parents. It was not in my family of origin. And so I knew inside of me that I felt one way, and that certain things came naturally to me, and that it was very different from my family. So I had... Abuse going on growing up. And then I also had just the fact that I was so very different from my adoptive family. Uh, my father is a very brilliant man. He was given a full-ride scholarship to finish his Ph.D. in Stanford for intellectual, in electrical engineering. He designed power converters that are on the several satellites that are still sending back pictures. He designed radios on the Apollo rockets. Also very introverted. He's a very good provider sacrificed everything but when it comes came to the world of emotions he was not nearly as adept and my adopted mother two master's degrees i mean she was president of the tempe elementary school boards here in arizona she opened up the counseling departments in the our largest high schools here out in gilbert she wanted to be a perfect mother and she did a very good job see in my family education was and is extremely important to my parents And I have to tell you the truth, it was not important to me. All I ever wanted to do was sing, to dance, to act, to perform. I'm a very creative and a very artistic person, but this was not my family. Every time my parents had someone visit our house, I would do a dance, a puppet show, I'd sing a song, I'd do gymnastics, whatever. I would do something to entertain people. Because I started singing as young as the age of five. And in fourth grade, I was the soloist on a forty-five record a little for and sing on television so this was so familiar and perfect to me I sang all the way through high school but I didn't really ever have singing lessons and I was a cheerleader and I did gymnastics and diving and swimming modern dance all the while my parents kept saying to me what about your education you have to get good grades well you see I didn't care I just wanted to perform I just wanted to sing this was my fairy tale and I was going to make it my story And this was a very painful journey for my parents and for myself because education was so important to them. Anything else seemed less than. So I began to feel very disapproved of very unsupportive and even not even liked for who I thought I was. Now, this is not how my parents ever wanted me to feel. But I want you to know God had a plan. Now, my parents were beside themselves. They loved me they're very committed to me and very committed to my success as a person. We just had very different stories as to how this was supposed to happen. I didn't know how intelligent I was. I tested as a very gifted person, but you can see as I started to go through elementary school and high school that my parents started to think, what happened to all that giftedness? She only wants to be a professional cheerleader. And all of my activities were about performing. So This was very difficult for my parents and for myself. I continued to frustrate my parents all through high school as all my endeavors focused on creative, artistic, performing things. And I think I graduated from high school with a C average, which is far below what I should have been attaining. You see, I didn't care about my grades because I didn't care about an education. However, in my family, education was a full-time job. This was the most important thing that you were supposed to do. So miraculously, I was accepted at ASU and I'm going to end this part of the story. And I want you to join me in the next segment. I'm going to tell you what my college years were like and how stressed my parents became because I was really going outside of what my adoptive family would have done, would have wanted, would have seen. So Again, this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and today we are talking about the stories that God has in our lives, and I'm telling you my own personal life story, and that we have these three stories that are constantly interacting in our life. We have our own little fairy tale that we, that we are dreaming of. We have our story that we are going to make happen, and then there is God's story for us that he has already written and that he is wanting to fulfill in our life. So I want you to join me again. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. If you don't get to hear this entire story, please visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and today we are talking about Can Fairy Tales Be Real? And this is uh, going to be an autobiography, hopefully done in the next six months. Uh, in the meantime, if you don't get to hear this whole show in its entirety, you can go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and you can download the PDF, and it's called Can Fairy Tales Be Real? And it's a shortened version of my life story, which they're kind of getting today. So... We ended this last segment on understanding this idea that we have three stories in our lives and we have our fairy tale, which is what we dream is going to happen. We have our story, which is usually trying to make our fairy tale happen. Then we have God's story and God, the story that he wrote for us in when time began and before time began. And so he's allowing these three stories to be intertwined together. He's allowing us to participate and help write our own story. At the same time, he's making sure that the story that he designed for us, that he wrote for us is going to happen. And as you'll see this unfold in my life, it's remarkable how he made that, how he made this happen. So we left off where I graduated from high school, barely with C average, very disturbing to my very, very educated, very intelligent uh, parents with uh, the thought that they had adopted this highly intelligent, gifted child. That's how I tested when I was four. And all of a sudden, they're finding out that 16, 17 years later, they've got a blonde cheerleader who wants to be a rock star. So, miraculously, I I am accepted to ASU. And I start taking my first-year classes. I'm barely passing. By the second semester, I had moved out of my parents' house into the dorms and promptly joined a rock band. My parents were obviously extremely upset, not happy at all. And in the middle, by the middle of this semester, I started dropping classes and and eventually quit school as a freshman because I was in this garage band. And I knew that we were going to, quote, unquote, we were going to make it. Now, let me just tell you, the the guys in this band were in their 30s and they worked at the airport. They were great musicians. We're probably not going to make it. And I lied and said I was 21 years old when I was actually 18 and said I was some singer from Colorado and just moved into town. And they're like, great. And, you know, because I wanted to make sure that I could sing in the bars, which again, to my parents would cause them great consternation. So I'm smoking, I'm singing in this rock band, and I will tell you that my audition song was, yes, Pat Benatar, Hit Me With Your Best Shot. And I nailed that song, right? So here I am. I'm in this rock band. It's not going anywhere. We're singing in these people's garage, and I'm getting close to recognizing that you know this might not have been one of my better ideas. So I humbly go to my father and I say, you know what? I think it's it's really not going to work. So um, he promptly reminded me of the statement that I made to him when he said, "What about your education?" And I said, "Dad, I don't need an education. I'm going to be a rock star." And he promptly rem- reminded me of that statement. And I said, well, I still might be one, but I probably need, maybe, I think I want to go to school. Because in my family, you either worked a full-time job or you went to school. So I would rather be in college than working an hourly job. So I went to a junior college and proved to my parents that I actually could make the grades. And, and they sat down with me and they decided, wow, what could, what could Cynthia do? Hmm. Well, she likes them all. I wonder if she could get a fashion degree. So we all decided, okay, I'll get a fashion degree. So Northern Arizona State University was the only uh, university in the the state at that time that had a fashion degree that was accredited. So I promptly moved up to the Flagstaff, to NAU, joined a sorority, and a rock band. And I'm doing now my college life, and I'm enjoying it tremendously. I'm still getting C's. As a, in a fashion degree. So many times when clients come to see me and they see all my ancillary degrees and they say, oh, you went to NAU? And I say, yes, my undergrad is fashion, merchandising, and design. Yes, <laughs> because that is a part of my story and it's a great part of my story. So I'm singing in this band, I'm in this sorority, and the whole time God is saying to me, I want your life. And at the last part of my senior year, he very succinctly said to me, Cynthia, I want you to give me your life. And I had grown up a Christian. Now I didn't stop believing in God, but I certainly was not living as one. I had my own goals and my own aspirations, and I was pretty sure that I was going to get them done. So I said to God, well, basically I said to him, you know, I I hear what you're saying, but I kind of like the way my life is going and I kind of have some good ideas and I'm pretty happy with the gig I got right now. And I'm moving to Los Angeles to be an assistant buyer for Robinson's May. And I'm going to have 21 stores all the way from Santa Barbara to San Diego. And I think that's a pretty good gig. And besides, I'll be in L.A. I can maybe sing. And if not, I can maybe get myself to New York. So I'm going to have to say no. Now, I really do not recommend ever saying that to God. I said, God, you're going to have to convince me. And he did. So join me again in the next segment as I talk to you about this whole idea of life stories. And can fairy tales be real? I hear the whispers in my heart. Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and this is Conversations with Cynthia. And today, I am giving you my life story. And it will be... A complete book, hopefully done within the next six months, and I'll keep you abreast of that. Uh, in the meantime, there is a mini version of this. It's about 22 pages, and you can download it as a PDF off of my website, which is CynthiaHyatt.com. I've also given this talk internationally as a salvation message. So if you are would like a keynote speaker at any women's events or corporate events, any of these types of things, I would love to give that story. So we left off that I am at NAU getting my fashion degree. I'm singing in a rock band and I'm in a sorority and I'm pretty happy with the way my life is going. Relatively, I should say. And God really was impressing upon me that he wanted my life and I actually said to him, well, I kind of got a good gig going. I like how it's going. I'm moving to Los Angeles and I think you'll like what I'm doing with my life, God. And he said, well, I'm really wanting your life. And I said, well, you're going to have to convince me to give it to you because I kind of like where it's going. And I do not recommend you ever saying that to God. Really, I don't. So I graduated from college. I moved to Los Angeles. I had a great job in downtown LA. I had a little white Porsche 924 with a sunroof. I had an executive discount at Robinson's and life couldn't be better, right? Well, I was miserable. I was dating a man in Phoenix that I came to find out was cheating on me. I was developing a very serious eating disorder as a result of all my perfectionism, the unresolved sexual abuse I had and unresolved adoption issues, uh, the feelings of rejection, feeling like I'm never measuring up, that I'm not approved or accepted of for who I am and that I really should be doing something and I can't seem to make what I think I should be doing happen. And I hated my job because it was all about numbers and orders and there was really nothing creative about it. So even though I was very successful and continued to be promoted, all I wanted to do was sing. That was not happening. As I had a full-time job and needed to support myself, I thought, okay, wow, I'm feeling very depressed, anxious, overwhelmed, empty, even though on the outside, everything looked great. So I came to find God's story for me. You see, we rarely accept or look for God's story unless our story and our fairy tale are not working. So let me tell you, he really did convince me. Or I should say that life on my own, doing my story my way and chasing a fairy tale, convinced me that life without God really is a nightmare. And I mean, really. I mean, really? I thought I could do better than God. Now, maybe your life isn't a nightmare. Maybe it just feels void of significance, or maybe a dream has died. Maybe hopes are dashed. Maybe you've accepted that, well, this is it. This is as good as it gets. And you've given up hoping that it could be anything better. So I said to God, listen, God, you asked me for my life, and I said no. I thought I could make a better life than you could give me or what you might have for me, and my way is not working, and I have really messed it up. And I said to God, do you still want my life the way it is? What I've done with it? And I'll tell you, I heard a resounding yes. And I came to learn that God wants me at my best and at my worst. That his story for my life is a far better story than I could have ever written for myself or fantasized about. And that he really wasn't waiting for me to get it all together. In fact, he was patiently waiting for everything to fall apart. And he gave me this life verse which is Ephesians 3:20. And this is the message bible. He says God can do anything far better than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. And he does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. You see, I said no to the God of the universe. I told him I could do it better. That I had a better idea that I thought I was doing a pretty good thing and that he would probably really like it. And I said, no, and he waited patiently, didn't push me around until I was ready to say, wow, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I now know that the way I'm trying to do it is not going to work. So thankfully God, he's not egotistical or easily offended. He knows he's usually the last choice and the last one to get picked, and so we know that people don't usually come to God because everything's working out. So I now needed God, and my life wasn't working out for me. And this time, I actually showed some of that intelligence my parents always thought that I had had somewhere. So it was really amazing to see how God turned this around. I understood how much Jesus loved me as a child, but to comprehend and accept it as an adult, especially after all I had done. And I'm I'm giving you a very brief account of some of those years um, from high school to, to college and in Los Angeles. So it was very humbling and very healing and very freeing to know it as an adult that God truly loved me. Because the, many of the mistakes i made certainly were out of na- naivete. Many of the mistakes I made were out of the abuse that I had incurred and unresolved childhood issues And some of my behaviors also were probably just selfishness and being human and wanting to do it my way. But either way, I missed the mark and I made bad choices. And in spite of all that, God still really wanted me. So maybe you're in that small group that really has had a pretty good life and haven't really made a lot of mistakes and you feel like your life is pretty good. You may not feel like you need God for this life, but whom are you going to count on for the afterlife? So why did God send Jesus? Well, he does it. He does this because we are still here. And the answer is love. It's incomprehensible, undeniable, irresistible, enduring, and everlasting love that he has for his creation. And so at the end of John three seventeen, it says that God didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And this is a very powerful thing. When God says that he really, really wants us. He really wants it. And so in John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, I'm the path, I'm the truth, I'm the energy of life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I don't have to figure it all out. He says he's the way. I don't have to figure out the story. He has the story and he actually wants me to participate in it and bring my pieces that I love to the story. So, this is, this is very powerful. In the last two years, I have come to know a great deal about my biological family. Some of it was very wonderful, some very painful, and some still a mystery. And it was very freeing for my mom and dad when I told them about my biological family. Because both of my parents were big performers. And I don't mean just big. I mean internationally big. My father was a very famous international jazz musician and big band leader all over Portugal, up through Spain, Italy. He spoke five languages. He had already written a book by the time he was 19. His, his best, his most favorite instrument was piano, which is mine. I didn't even know that. My grandmother on his side, his mother was a grand pianist uh, for the Philharmonic Orchestra. Actually, the orchestra came to her house for a, her birthday and performed when he was growing up. She married um, the man that um, created and founded General Mills. So there was a lot. They were on the East Coast, which is where I always wanted to be when I was growing up. I never wanted to be in Arizona. I always wanted to be in a big city, very opposite of my parents. All of them were great performers. My father also struggled with several addictions and had very um, uh, unsuccessful relationships I spoke with my half-brother and my half-sister, and, and um, they both were glad that I was doing music because none of them want to have anything to do with it, even though they're very talented. None of them are people of faith on my father's side or my mother's side. And it, it, they weren't even against the idea of religion. They just didn't have a feeling at all about it. They said, oh, we looked at your website, and you're one of those people of faith. And I said, yes, I am. And I see where God was really protecting me because my mother and I would have many conversations before I knew any of this that that, you know, if I would have had a stage mom, I'd be Britney Spears. I mean, Lindsay Lohan, that's where I was going. That, And I kept saying, why aren't my parents supporting this? They only want me to have an education. I would have never gotten my education if it were not for my parents. If I were not to have had parents that single-mindedly wanted nothing else for me but that because that was the last place I wanted to go. And so I became an extremely well-rounded person without even trying. In spite of myself, I became very well-rounded. And my parents were very committed to me developing that part of myself that I really didn't care about, that I am very thankful for now. I would have never become a psychotherapist if I were not to have been taken out of that family and put into the family that God has placed me in. I found out about my biological mother. All of the people, uh, many of the people in my biological mother's side have eating disorders. Both of my biological parents smoked until the day they died. And I smoked all through college. And one of the smartest things I did is God told me to stop smoking. And I quit the day I graduated from college because I knew if I didn't, I would smoke my entire life. And when I came to find that both of my parents struggled with that, that my um, cousin on my Mother's side told me, oh, she could never quit smoking. She could never quit smoking or drinking. She was a phenomenally accomplished dancer and danced um, at the radio, uh, radio City Music Hall in New York City. She toured all in when she was 18, 19, and 20. She was one of the best gymnasts, number two in, in Minnesota. She was a diver. Both of my um, siblings were swimmers. Swimmers. And I swam all through elementary school and high school. I was so very much like my biological family. It was spooky where I was going and what I was trying to do. Both my mother and my father, those were the things I felt compelled to do. And what God did was no. And forced this whole other shadow side of me that I would not have ever done. If I would not have been placed truly in the desert and have a desert experience. And so I see the plan now that God has. See, my my adoptive family was devoid of anything my biological family was about, and I am a very determined person, and God knew that about my nature. He knew that if he let me be any other place than with these two parents who were so strong and so able to say no repeatedly, and endure the pain of my upset. You see, I was raised in a Christian home with no vices whatsoever, emphasis on education, career, and family. It's a great social experiment in what would have been what I seemed destined for, what I felt compelled to walk out, and what I tried hard to make happen. And so I see the hand of God in my life as he was making sure that the story he had for me was accomplished. And it takes tremendous trust, and I will tell you the truth. I did not trust the process very well. I was very hurt by God frequently about why can't I do what comes so natural to me that I enjoy so much? Why do you continue to say no, slam doors in that way, and open doors as wide as an airplane hangar in these other areas? And in retrospect, I see very clearly what God was doing. And I'm hoping that this gives you some ability to trust God's plan when you don't see what's happening, to know that you belong to him. And he is writing a story and has a story for you. And it doesn't mean that it's without your fairy tale, because I sing a lot. And I sing in very inspirational, motivational ways. And I get to do much of what my fairy tale and my story was. And I have a really big story I would have never, ever known to write. So I'm hoping that this was encouraging to you and that that braid of three stories that are woven throughout your life, that you can appreciate each of them and ask God for wisdom in walking them out. So this is Cynthia Hyatt, Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm so glad you joined me today and thank you so much for listening to my story. I hope it was inspiring to you. I hope it was encouraging to you. And I would love it if you would visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can uh, download the story in a PDF. And I want you to look at my Facebook page and like that page at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. And that's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T. Have a great this
1: week. This hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you.